0: Dude. Oh, <laughs> good morning and welcome that to was me. That was my well, hi, Yeah, thanks a lot, Lou. Yeah. Good morning and welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Landen, coming to you from Cold, uh, just north of Boston, Massachusetts. Here with Lou Blasey, uh, my lust- illustrious producer. Yeah. And I have two guests that are coming on today that are sitting in the back room currently, waiting as I give them their introduction. Um, we've been waiting a few weeks for them, and I'm so excited because um, it's. Uh, a pleasure and an honor to have them here, and a privilege. Um, so, and I have been talking about them literally for the past five years that my podcast has been on because I've been affiliated with doing work with them mm-hmm. um, and their and their place of business, which I know people who are watching know, but I'm. Leading up to the big intro. So um, I have Carol and Howard Baskin here today from Big Cat Rescue in Tampa, Florida, which is exciting. And if people don't know, recently in December um, of 2022, the Big pat the Big Cat Public Safety Act, which has been a long road to get to, finally passed and was signed into law um, on December 20th um, by uh, President Biden and the Big. Pa- I'll have them talk about the the Big Cat Public Safety Act, but um, I've talked about it many times before on my show because I was trying to get people to call their senators and legislatures and and get them to do what they need to do state by state um, because we had some holdout states, et cetera, but we'll let them talk about that. Um, Also, as I promote it, um, just in the past couple of years, they have three new Tigers from Guatemala, which we'll talk about because I want to have them explain how it is to get rescues from other countries and also what goes into taking care of big cats and exotic cats. And also it's the 30th anniversary of Big Cat Rescue. So um, Mm. down on uh, Easy Street in Tampa. So we have lots of things to talk about. But um, in the meantime, we should bring them on in and welcome to the show, everyone. This is uh, Carol and Howard Baskin. Welcome, you guys.
1: Hi there. Hey, all you
0: cool cats and kittens. All right. Um, so I was explaining a couple minutes ago to Carolyn Howard that, of course, this is a health and wellness show a lot of the time for people with a, a wide uh, array of people that watch. Um, but uh, the the exotic cat uh, piece for me has always been exciting because I love philanthropy work. This is one of my biggest philanthropy pushes in in life is to do animal activism. And you guys are the quintessential people in doing that. So um, I am so excited to have you both here to talk about, um, first of all, one of the questions I always get, let's just get that off the table is, why do people have such a fascination with ownership and all the things that come with trading and buying and selling of Exotic cats, lions and tigers and jaguars and ocelots—the the very exotic kinds. What do you think?
2: I think they're crazy.
0: <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> There's uh, a clinical term. <laughs> no, I, Could I, you I, elaborate I, on that?
1: If you think about all the things that people do to get attention, I mean, years ago it used to be which brand of cigarette you smoked or which car you drive. Uh, what gets more attention than I've got a tiger in my backyard? And so, and, and there are various elements of that. You know, we've, we've seen, uh, young men who felt like this was a babe magnet. You know, you could come, come see my tiger. Uh, but it, it's, it's a way to get to be different and get attention. And it starts out inexpensive because these cubs that are bred for breeding, bred for these petting operations, they can only use them for a few months. And then they're ready to give them away and these breeders will convince people oh if you get the cub when it's a young cub it'll bond to you and it, you know then you will be able to have this relationship with this animal and that misconception is very seriously fostered by people like jack Hanna and dave salmone and boone what's his name smith, smith who you know the, the succeeding hannah generation of proteges who bring these animals on tv these cubs and you know, they may say, oh, they don't make good pets, but that would be like me smoking a cigarette and saying to you, by the way, smoking a cigarette is bad for you. They may be saying they make bad pets, but here, here I am with this animal. And what does it really say? It says you can only have them if you're special like me. And you know, don't we all wanna be? You're the psychologist, don't we all wanna be special?
0: Well, and I and I do think that that's a big part of it. I think it, it's that it's a status specialty for someone to have that on their their resume, so to speak. That it's an attraction to them, and it certainly pulls people towards them. Um, but it it appears that over the past thirty years, um, and I just reference that because you guys have been in business for thirty years, that it's just become increasingly more and more um, the fascination with it, and. Um, easier to get with people like, um, you know, you have the television shows like the Jack Hanna conservation show. Um, They, you know, they put on every Saturday morning still that kids watch and um, and you have all the different zoo uh, channels that come on and talk about that. Um, And I'm wondering if you guys think that that's perpetuating some of that problem as well, because, you know, the zoos talk about breeding and conservation, but yet we know that you can't Put anything that's bred in captivity back out in the wild which is another question i always get from people is why can't we just release them back and so you can't and so could you guys speak to that a little bit about why that is yeah after tiger
2: king the two questions i was asked the most is why can't you set them free and the other was um if they're going extinct then you should be breeding more right And that's what everybody who is making a living off of those babies has been telling the people that they're charging money to come see those babies for the past 200 years. And so it's really hard for people to grasp the fact that they've been lied to and duped all these years by thinking that supporting any kind of industry that has baby lions or baby tigers or baby leopards on display is doing anything but harm to conservation. So I'm really glad that some of these issues are finally coming out in the light. People are seeing that this really is a bad thing to be supporting captive breeding.
0: So so given that, the Big Cat Public Safety Act, when did that, I mean, I know we all, the three of us, know the history of this, but for our audience, could you give us a little history of when that really started, what, when you guys put that in inception, and you guys have been such an integral part in back and forth to Washington and talking to everyone about this and really getting all the people involved to get it passed. So could you give us a little history and story of that and where where it came to be finally on the 20th of December? Well. <laughs> <laughs> the
2: sanctuary started in 1992 with some huge rescues from fur farms, 56 cats one year and then the next year, 28, and the next year, 22. And I very quickly figured out we were never going to rescue our way out of this problem. And so I had seen a situation with pig crates that had passed here in Florida. We had helped pass a ban on pig crates. And it told me that the only way we were going to stop the problem was going to be through legislation. And so in the late 90s, we started working on a bill that ultimately passed in 2003 called the Captive Wildlife Safety Act. But as we know from going through year after year after year of reintroducing a bill, it gets watered down. And so since 2003, we've been trying to close the two biggest loopholes, which was that it still allowed for cupheading and private ownership. And then you can take it from there because you really did take it from there.
1: Well, the the, the effort on this bill started in 2011 when we went to DC and met with uh, a roomful of the larger animal welfare organizations and all agreed we would work on this issue, the big cat issue. And we came up with a three prong strategy. And one of those prongs was the federal bill. So it was first introduced in March of 2012. But each, each congressional session is two years. And then when it ends, any bill that didn't pass just dies, they they use that term dies, and you start over reintroducing it in the next session. And so March is very late in the session to start, but at least we got the thing started. And then what's happened in each of the ensuing two-year sessions is we've built more and more support. And the way you build support is you get legislators to what's called co-sponsor. And basically when they co-sponsor, they're signing up to vote for the bill when it comes to the floor for a, for a vote uh, people need to understand that the the number of bills that get introduced compared to the number of bills that ever pass the number that pass is minuscule it's almost like the odds of winning the lottery there uh because the process has so many stages that you have to go through but each session we build more and more support more legislators are supporting it then Late in the 2019, 20 session, we actually got it to the, to the floor for a vote in the house and the process there, there's an expedited process, but you need a two thirds vote, not a majority vote. So it was touch and go you've seen on television, probably where they're counting the votes, you know, as, as, as they call them out. And, and we sat there on pins and needles and we beat the two thirds vote that we needed by about 10 or a dozen votes. So it passed the house, but that was in December of 2020. And there was no time to get it through the Senate in that session. But it teed us up going into this 2021-22 session with the bill having passed with this huge amount of bipartisan support. And so it was reintroduced in 2021. And then it took until July of 2022 to pass the house again. But at least that gave us five months to work on the Senate. And these last five months have been absolutely nerve wracking. There are, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but you know there are two paths in the Senate, and one is to go through the normal committee path. And we were hammering away at members of the committee to make that happen. And there's another one, which is kind of like a Hail Mary pass. It's called the hotline or unanimous consent where they send out an email to all the offices, the Senate offices and say, does anybody object to this bill? And if nobody objects, it goes through. And it, you know, it's typically used for things like naming post offices, things that are very non-controversial and you can't even get that, that the people who have to agree to that email going out, are senior leadership and the members of the committee. So getting to that is difficult, but we got that. And then the issue is, are there any senators who do what's called putting a hold on it? They say, no, wait a minute. Now, often that's because they just want to study the bill more. It doesn't mean they oppose the bill. And there were three holds. And then you go work on those Senate offices with the staff and the senators trying to get them to release the hold. We got two of them released quickly. And there was one holdout. And it took weeks of negotiations before that was released. And then on December 20th, uh, it passed the Senate, which means now it goes to the president to be, or I'm sorry, on December 6th, it passed the Senate. And then it took a couple weeks to get to the president's desk. And so we've been celebrating ever since. Do you know you're, you're a health person. Is it healthy to have champagne every single night
0: in this case yes (laughs) absolutely you can do it for a year in this case at least you know it took this long so you might as well just have at least a little bit every night (laughs) can't hurt um so so it was so were you guys expecting it i mean did you feel like it was you know because there's been i mean i've been around you guys for a while now so It was always feeling that touch and go, touch and go. Were you really expecting it on December 6th? Because I remember when it happened, it was like (gasps) to all of us on the outside, like, oh, my gosh. So or were you more like, okay, it's really coming and this is going to be the time it turns over?
1: Even on December 5th, I would have put the odds at 50-50. That's how tense it was. Back in July, when it passed the House, we were thinking the odds in the Senate were 20 percent. Right. You know, it gradually grew as we got, oh, my God, we got the hotline to go. Oh, good. There's only three. Can we can we convert them? And, you know, there's a there's there's a a long story of the efforts with each of these that we won't have time for here. Right. But it was a massive effort among us and the other uh, NGOs and the lobbyists that we were working with to get to that point. And until December 6th happened, we just didn't know it was going to happen.
2: And we were really worried that maybe they were just stringing us along these three holdouts that they were going to hold us for a while. And then it'd be three more that would do it and then three more. So we had no way of knowing who might just pull out of the woodwork and be a problem for us. And the
1: clock was ticking every single day. You know, we're running out of time as we're waiting for this to happen day after day.
0: Right so so there's the psychological piece for you guys is that you're on pins and needles and having anticipatory anxiety all the time and along with lots of the rest of us that are involved just watching going i wonder what's going to happen so and being there must have been so anxiety provoking um but you guys never let let anyone see you sweat because you always looked really even keeled (laughs) that's really good um so what does it mean now so i you know there's 180 days now from the time that it, that it got signed into um, into law, 180 days if I'm correct, that people who have ownership have to register their exotic cat. They have So tell us about that because I could say it, but you do it much better than me. Okay.
1: Well, two different things. Yes. It is law now. Some bills say will take effect in a future date. This one does not. It is law now. So cub petting is now illegal. And if you go to the, the, the last of the large cub headers is this infamous person, Doc Antle from Tiger King with, you know, well, I'm deaf. <laughs> and if you go to his website now, you'll see pictures of people with primates, but you don't see any pictures of cubs when I went there yesterday. So that is law. Now it is illegal. You can incur a $20,000 fine and a five year prison sentence if you offer cub petting now. That is huge because that stops all of this breeding and then these discarded cubs from going into private hands. The second part of the bill is that it phases out this private ownership. People who get these cubs, you know, they get a cub, they've got it in the house, quickly it becomes dangerous and too busy, and invariably it ends up in this tiny ramshackle cage in the backyard, or worse conditions, in a basement or a Harlem apartment. And so that now, those people, uh, have 180 days to register their animals, but what's effective right now is they are not allowed to breed anymore and they are not allowed to acquire anymore. So basically what will happen. So it's called grandfathering the, the, they're grandfathered in with the ones they own. The purpose of the registration is so that fish and wildlife surface can monitor whether we need a baseline. Okay, here's what I own. That's the only way you can tell. Did you acquire more or breed more? Right. So, you know, over the course of a decade, the vast majority of those will pass away if you figure their average age is somewhere around 10.
0: So, so does now that you guys, does that include um, the other question that people have been asking me is, does that include servals and caracals, and you know more of what we call the little cats, or is that just lions and tigers and mountain lions, and or is it the littles as well? Like, does it encompass the whole grouping of cats that are exotic, or or big cats?
1: Just the big cats.
0: Okay. So and so that brings me to now, what is the future of the little cats? Because we have bobcats and the caracals and the savannas and all the, you know, the, um, the palace cats and the other ones that are the ocelots. I could go on and on. But the ones that really fall into that category, is that now another um, pursuit that we go down that road to help out that side? Or is it something that we don't do what is the next plan you think for that
2: i don't think it's ever going to be a problem and the reason that i believe that is because i've dealt with all of those small cat species and they mature much faster by the time they're a year and a half old they're sexually mature whereas with the tiger they might be five years before they're sexually mature So mentally, those bigger cats stay kittenish in their attitudes toward people much, much longer, making them much more desirable to show off with. A bobcat, by the time that cat reaches a year and a half or a serval or a caracal, that cat is going to be totally unwieldy and no way in heck you can make that cat sit still for a photo. Even when they're little, they're a whole lot harder to deal with than the big cats. The big cats have nothing to prove. So they're just like, fine, whatever. But the little cats, I mean, they are just like always right on the knife's edge. And so I don't think they're ever going to be the attraction that the big cats were.
1: However, just recently, a major development in that area is that when I mentioned to you back in two thousand and eleven, there was a three pronged effort, right? One of those prongs was to file with USDA an argument that they should stop the public contact with these animals. Mm-hmm. And finally, now, what? eleven years later, twelve years later, USDA has posted, what happened the process is, they post on the Federal Register a proposed rule and then people get to comment, and then they decide whether they're gonna make adjustments based on the comments, and then they typically issue the rule. And we were thrilled to see that they have now issued a much broader rule about not having contact with exotic animals. So presumably, that will affect the smaller cats and the primates and the bears that are still being used at some places. The other issue is uh, while, while they're adorable, the, you know, and Bobcats are not going to have the public appeal that the tiger, uh, or lion cub or Jaguar cub has. So I don't think that is ever going to be a substitute for the industry. And the other thing is the growing public awareness. The thing that we've seen happen simultaneously as we've worked on the bill over these years is the growing public awareness that wait a minute this isn't right uh, even tiger king for all of its flaws that one scene where you see them pulling that tiny cub away from the mother immediately pulling it through the wire people understood wait a minute there's something wrong with that right and and that was basically the only thing in that entire episode that was geared toward what they claimed was their initial plan of exposing the, 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 um, horror of this stuff, but it had an impact. And what we've seen over the last decade, six years ago, I could name a dozen places for you that had a hundred tigers in horrible conditions, pumping out cubs. Right. And one by one, they have gone out of business uh, or put, been put out of business. Uh, you know, some of the stars of Tiger King, Jeff Lowe, Joe, Joe Exotic, Tim Stark, locally near us, Dade City, Wild Things. Uh, PETA has done an amazing job with their um, Endangered Species Act lawsuit. The Endangered Species Act is kind of unique because it has a provision for what's called a citizen's suit, where you don't have to wait for a, a government agency to enforce it. A citizen can bring that suit. And they've been very effective with Dade City Wild Things and Tim Stark in those kind of suits. So I think we're going to just to continue that, that pendulum of awareness that these animals are not there to be bred as cubs and touched is, is growing. And if people stop patronizing these places, the business stops
0: well and i think that's okay so two things one to the point of i think you the most poignant part to me watching tiger king like you were just saying is if people haven't seen it is is there's a moment where you you see this very small you know seconds old in my opinion tiger baby being taken um and the psychological appeal to mothers as human beings and people watching that i think that really sticks out and i agree with howard that that's probably one of the most uh um, touching, poignant, and and moving parts of it to get people to really see, wow, this is what's going on mm-hmm. when you when you don't see that behind the scenes, um, and realizing that that's been going on. Um, on the other side of that, um, or or in addition to that, I think that um, to the point of bobcats and caracals and servals, that that doesn't seem to be going on so people wouldn't have the appeal to have to go pet or see that. So when you see a roadside zoo because we do have them I mean up here in New England and Howard you've been up here up here in New England we have the fairs we have the county fairs we have the big expos and up until even this past fall I know th- I saw the, you know the advertisements for them and people were you know Ba- trying to ban them and people were boycotting don't bring those tigers here or don't bring even the little cats here um so how do people be discerning of what to go visit like if it's a zoo like a, a I guess a real zoo versus a roadside zoo how do you designate so that you're not contributing to part of that problem um for things that still exist like that because you know there's always going to be there's always going to be that one um so how do you how do you recommend you guys to get people to not patronize those places and be careful
1: well within the there, there are two organizations within the zoo community the association of zoos and aquariums which is called the aza is the accrediting body with the highest standards and look that doesn't mean everything is perfect if every one of those zoos But by and large, if you are a member, they, they do very intense inspections. They're very diligent about it. And by and large, animals at those places are gonna have adequate space. They're gonna have veterinary care. They're gonna have good food. Um, And so if it's an AZA zoo, you, you can count on that. There's another organization called the ZAA, I think intentionally named to be confusing which is basically an organization of, by and large, what we would call roadside zoos. Right. And the inspections, I believe, are a joke. The standards are much lower. And so people should know not to go to those places, to go to the AZA zoos. Within the sanctuary community, then there is the what's called the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries, GFAS. And again, they are the gold standard in terms of the standards that you have to meet for animal care, uh, within the sanctuary community. And you can go to the, their website and see which are the sanctuaries that you should visit. Uh, there are many places that call themselves sanctuaries that have no relationship to being a sanctuary. Don't even rescue animals. And, and, and they're basically, you know, the, the, the basic definition of a sanctuary, that I find easiest to think about is if you don't do the what I call the five sins and let's see if I can remember them <laughs> uh, but if you don't buy sell breed, allow contact with the animals or take them off site for exhibition then you're a sanctuary if you do any of those things you are not a sanctuary and then of course in addition to not doing those five things a sanctuary is a credit is going to be a place that gives good animal care, has adequate size enclosures, things like that.
0: Okay, so excellent, excellent answers. By the way, I don't know if you guys can see, we have a lot of traffic. Asking questions and saying things, so I'm watching it to see if we have any questions coming up. And of course, Karen Nash is here, just so you guys know. And Deb Quimby and Cassie Olson and a lot of a lot of the old standards from VCR, just so you guys know, because on lives we always see all the same people. So the go people- team, I know. I, so we have lots of great people and lots of new people I can see as well. So I just wanted you guys to know that. Um, so in terms of just because you guys are rescuing and doing, you have a rehab and release program, um, switching gears just a little bit. You have a rehab and release program um, that uh, is for Bobcats, uh, Florida Bobcats. And um, one of my favorite cats at Big Cat Rescue, of course, two of my favorites are Bobcats, Flint and Summer. So, and, and I just happened to be there when Flint was there, when he first came. So that was exciting for me. Uh, I did miss Summer coming in, but yeah, um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that's such an important part of what you guys are doing um, that people, you know, there's a piece of like, you're releasing, you're rehabbing and releasing, and you guys have a great facility for that. And just to speak to that, because I've seen it, um, you have such a uh, unique, in my opinion, way of bringing them in, not having personal contact, not getting them human exposed and getting them set up for success in the wild. Um, And of course, a credit goes to your daughter, Jamie, and a great staff of people um, that work with Jamie and you guys to do that whole process like Brittany and Afton and Aaron and so on. Um, but could you guys speak to that program? Because I think it's a great program that people really don't know about, about BCR. And I would love for you guys to just talk about that a little bit.
2: The only cats who are legal to release are the ones who were actually born. Like up a little bit there. Uh-oh. I'm sorry. So do you think, um, Bruce was asking, <coughs>
1: do you think the goal is to close the sanctuary eventually? And is that a realistic possibility?
0: Did we get them back? Yeah, they back. Okay.
1: What, uh, which question are we answering? <laughs> did,
0: okay. Do the first, did you hear my whole first question? Sorry about whatever just happened. We, yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's do that one first. Then we'll go to Bruce's question yeah. about the, the, it's a good question about closing the sanctuary eventually. But the Bruce, what about the rehab?
1: Your Bobcat rehab. No no kidding.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Carol, you go. Bobcat rehab, go.
2: (laughs) I've been rehabbing bobcats since I was 17 years old. And the only cats who are legal for release back to the wild are those who are actually born in the wild. So it's always been a big part of our mission at Big Cat Rescue to help every cat we can get a second chance at living free if they were born free. So, we rescue usually, we get calls for about a dozen cats each year. And of those, we might bring in eight or so. And of those, maybe six will actually survive their injuries because these are cats who have been hit by cars. Sometimes they've been hit multiple times by cars. They've been shot by hunters. They've been poisoned. They've been trapped and had their legs amputated you know, just horrible things that happen to them out in the wild. If we get the call, we'll go anywhere in the state of Florida because we're only legal to rehab and release within our state and pick that cat up, bring it in at two o'clock in the morning, which is usually when we get these kinds of calls, have our vet fix them up, stabilize them, and then do whatever medical repairs they need. Our rehab facility is world-class, and we have six enclosures back there. Each one of them is 4,200 square feet, and they're set up in sections so that there's a small section. If they have broken a hip or if they're a kitten and you don't want them climbing to the roof and falling, they're in that short section, then they can graduate to larger and larger sections. And In there, we're watching for how, and we're doing all of this through remote cameras. Um, we have to clean the cages and we have to take food out there. So yeah, any weather, <laughs> I'm sorry, did, did I lose you?
0: Why are we glitching? Uh,
1: well, Lou, Lou, Lou said something that we didn't catch, <laughs> but why don't you continue?
0: Yeah, we just had a little glitch again. We're having some, whatever stream yards, either weather was related Internet or weather. Something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were saying about the enclosures and the different enclosures for the, the rehab cats. So all of the time that
2: we are around any of these cats, the keepers, Jamie and her crew of rehabbers, they dress up like trees so that the cats are not associating people with food or comfort. We don't pet them or love on them or do any of the things that you would do with a domestic kitten because we want them to hate people when they leave so that they don't get into trouble and we have to keep a really close eye on them because these are the sickest and most fragile cats that we're dealing with so we have cameras all over bobcat rehab we have a bobcat rehab hospital with cameras they have their bedrooms there they have indoor outdoor areas there's cameras out there and then when they move to the big 4200 square foot enclosures there's cameras all over that as well and we have a very unique system that my daughter came up with a tunnel system where when they're ready to start hunting, to make sure that they can hunt when they're released back to the wild, the, whole, the rats that they get are put into these tubes, kind of like septic tank, septic tank tubes, and they can come out anywhere in the enclosure at any time of the day. She's even got a little timer on there that she can operate from her phone so that they don't associate the sound of maybe a golf cart driving up with food. We don't want any association at all between people and food when these cats are being kept during these periods of time. And we try to get them out of there as fast as we can. I think the state law is like 180 days for most injuries. And then the orphan kittens have to be raised until they're big enough to protect themselves out there. But that's the very best part of what we do. The day that we can take them out and open those crates and see them go running back to their rightful place in the wild, that is the best part of what we do. And we just love being able to give them that second chance. So I thank everybody who has made that possible
1: for us. And in many cases, we will put a a camera out in the wild in that area where we've let them go and get some wonderful video of them, of course, along with thousands of other animals. <laughs> so you have to sit through hours and hours of this Raccoons. camera-triggered video. <laughs> but, you know, we've had such fun video of, of the little bobcat coming up to the camera and sniffing it. And, it's and, like, is and, it Jamie
0: I uh, <laughs> Uh, that's and it, it is it is really unique too because to watch them be released and 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 Lou keeps posting up like your pages of each of the areas of the of BCR um, and he just posted up the Bob, Bobcat page of the rehab and release program so that people can go to it um, and, and also, if I'm not mistaken, you also had recently put some trackers. I know that we, we actually lost, I say we, we actually lost one of the uh, released uh, cats, unfortunately, recently, where it's just where I came in because I, there was a lot of sadness that came with, uh, if people don't know, I actually do a lot of compassion fatigue work with staff at VCR. Um, and we did lose one of them that had been released, which was unfortunate that Venkman um, Bank, had been put back out had been, um, something happened. (laughs) So, um, and, and so the, the excitement of letting them go and seeing them flourish is wonderful, but also it comes with the fact that they go back out in the wild and so things can happen. Um, so that's where, did we lose them again? Nope. Okay. Just making sure. Um, I saw it flash off. Um, so I think that that's such an important thing for people to realize the, um, Answer to their question of when can when a cat gets released back—that's that's that's a wonderful thing because it's it's a success, success and um, uh, it's it's so good for all the people that work there because you know you're doing something that makes makes a difference. Um, uh, So going to Bruce's question before that, what you're referring
1: to there is collaring them.
0: Oh yes, collar yes.
1: And so what is it, six that we've collared? I don't
0: remember.
1: It's it's either four or six, and the issue is that we have. (laughs) We have never before, we've Looking never before.
0: I know. In the meantime, we... I'll have some so coffee. Yeah, I can hear
2: you again, oh, oh, are... talking about your coffee. Oh no,
0: are they back? <laughs>
1: Not yet.
0: <laughs> okay, okay, I okay, know, so no heard... <laughs> whatever's happening. Okay, so six that you've called, you think. Yes,
1: you, the issue, the importance there is, there has never been any knowledge about what kind of territories do these animals need what are their habits in the wild? And so now we can see, we go on the internet and see, well, this one shows this size of an area, this one shows a smaller area around a lake, and it's all gonna be driven by how much prey is there. But if you're gonna, in many cases, all over the world, and we fund in situ projects around the world, much of the effort is in trying to understand what kind of territories they need, how they behave, so we know what territories have to be protected for them. Um, so, so this is really a, a major first for the Florida bobcat.
0: And, well, and I think, and I think that's one of the unique programs and pieces that you guys have brought to that that I am excited about because I love seeing that that's being done because it's such a uh, preservation and conservationist mindset, obviously, and you guys know that. But to to have that, so it keeps. Um, uh, knowledge and education for people so they understand that better. Um, speaking of the, oh, let's go to Bruce's question first, because I've already on my head gone to another one. But Bruce was asking, what was his question?
1: I, I remember his question.
0: Okay, okay good. So,
1: when you, I was worried when you introduced Bruce, because you stumbled over the word illustrious, and I thought you were going to say, this is my lusty producer, Bruce. I wondered what kind of program we were going to be on today. Very know.
0: salacious, Howard, very
1: salacious. Go, da, da, da.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: anyway, <laughs> for 30 years, Carol had said, the goal was to put ourselves out of business. And what we've been seeing is this trend in in the bad guys going out of business, in in the problem gradually diminishing. And now with the bill, you know, we can finally see a light at, at the end of the tunnel. We don't know quite where that light is, but from what I described to you earlier, no more cub petting. So none of these cubs being bred for backyards, the people with them in backyards gradually dying out. So there there will be a diminishing and eventually no need for new rescues because there won't be big cats. Now, there, there I shouldn't say it that way there will always be some need, you know, the, the roadside zoos will continue, but hopefully the, the trend in awareness there is that these places are becoming unpopular and they won't be, they will become economically unviable because there won't be people wanting to visit these crappy little zoos. So, you know, there will be some years of some amount of rescues, but you can see it declining. At which point, eventually, there simply is no need for the sanctuary, or at least for as many sanctuaries.
0: Right. Or to have them as full, correct? Pardon? Or to have them as full, so you wouldn't be having to have as many in general because you just wouldn't be taking on as many. And and already the case
2: where they had built for these huge rescues where they had 115 cats coming out of Colorado and... God only knows how many from joe exotic and from tim stark and so there has been a lot of building for all Blue. of you cats and yet
1: they these things happen i know <laughs> something's going on in florida with the internet
0: i know well they could have some storms there it goes they're back i think they're back yes. yep there is.
2: All of this capacity that has been built by the sanctuaries to deal with these huge rescues as these big places have gone out of business that leaves them with the space necessary to handle anything sound. in the future, I think.
1: Yeah. Sound. yeah. Are you hearing
0: us? So, so I know there goes the sound. <laughs> Frustrating. Um, do you guys have weather going on down there? Do you guys know? She's like, no, no
1: when we have very high speed internet. So stop blaming us. It's your fault. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Lou, okay, it's your definitely.
1: fault. It's, it's, StreamYard. I hate it's, StreamYard. I, I think we threw Lou off with the lusty Lou and he can't <laughs> concentrate on keeping the internet up. Right, I'm having trouble hitting buttons
0: over here. <laughs> so, okay. So what about the... Um, so what about like the cats coming out of like Guatemala? You recently uh, you know, rescued the three cats, Max, Simba and Kimba from Guatemala, um, and they were younger. So they're going to be with you guys, obviously, for a while. So um, but the likelihood of, you know, and they came from a circus, I believe. Um, so things from out of the country. What about that? Can you speak to that a little bit about, you know, because we're talking all about the big pack. Big Cat Public Safety Act is for the United States. But what about the rest of you know the world and all the big cats and where they need to be rescued and where do they go? And
2: Thankfully, Animal Defenders International did an amazing job globally of shutting down these circuses just about everywhere except for the United States. And so the cats from Guatemala, the cats that we brought in from tiger that we brought in from Peru, and all of the cats that have now gone to ADI's sanctuary out in South Africa, those were the result of closing down all of those circus acts. And the circus acts were like the last thing to fold there. Most of those places that had zoos, it became very out of uh, favor for people to go and gawk at an animal in a cage there. Even years before, people thought that the circus was a, a horrible thing to do. So they just don't have the big cat problems in these other areas. And then last year, we saw Black Jaguar, White Tiger, Eddie Serio going on the run for alleged cases of money laundering, which seems to be a common problem for these big cat guys. They just love money laundering. <laughs> the Cats seem to be a great cover for that. But he ran off leaving, I think, 180 big cats behind. And I follow that as much as I can. I'm always looking for any kind of stories as to what's happening. I heard that the zoos there were taking the cats. I know sanctuaries were wanting to help with those cats, but I haven't seen a single incident of anybody talking about any of those cats coming from Mexico to the U.S. yet.
1: But the exception to that trend of this declining worldwide is a situation we have right now with Ukraine where there are there's an effort to get some of these animals out of Ukraine and out of the danger of the bombing so uh but then you know as as the cats diminish in those areas then even events like a war will not trigger the need for rescues
0: right now are you now are you guys now focused on just maintaining what you guys have in terms of your uh, population right now? Are you more focused on rescuing more that are kind of in the residuals of what's going to be left over? Are you kind of just uh, phasing into something new for yourselves, Um, recreating anything? I know the heavy focus on the rehab, but, uh, you know, what's in your future for that?
1: We'll focus on the existing population. And we've always said our mission was in three parts. Part of it was giving the best care we could of the animals we have. Part of it was stopping the abuse, which the federal bill has been the major event in in doing that. And there will still be some of these roadside zoos. And the third has been trying to keep these animals from going extinct in the wild. So for a number of years, once our finances got to a point where we could do this, we have donated over a hundred thousand dollars a year to projects in the wild, like we just talked about where it might be collaring. It might be working with local populations to diminish the retaliatory killings that happen when these predator cats take the, uh, the, the, um, you know, go after the hoofstock stock or, or chickens and, you know, helping people build coops that are predator proof, things like that. We would like the resources that we've built out to shift to much more of that. And, you know, it. So it doesn't make sense. And look, you know, among the people who are currently operating good sanctuaries, the the accredited cleat GFX sanctuaries, we're among the older people doing it. So it makes a lot more sense since there's capacity at places where people are younger, have more animals to spread the overhead over for, for us to kind of stand down a bit and let them do that, let them do the rescues as long as there's this excess capacity.
0: So given, and I think, and I think that that's a wonderful mission for you guys. And so given that um, and you guys still obviously fundraise um, and ask for donations, and there's many ways to do that at, at Big Cat Rescue. Um, and Lou is taking care of putting up links. So is Deb and other people on, on our chat. Um, and I was going to say, how can you educate our audience on, how much does it cost to take care of a tiger a year? Like what goes into that?
1: Well, just the, what are called the, in the counting, the direct costs, the ones right. associated with that animal arriving, just food and average medical care for a tiger is about $10,000 a year. And these guys eat 10 to 15 pounds a day of very expensive meat. And the prices haven't been dropping over the last few years. And then as they age, just like with humans, the medical care costs rise. And, and some of the things, just like flea treatment, are extremely expensive.
2: I had no idea how expensive it was to treat fleas until I was talking to Jamie about the cost of a single pill. It's like 42 bucks. And some of the
0: cats are getting three and four of those. So, so, so. Th- there are sponsorship programs just i'm doing this for you guys to benefit if you guys go on to um, bcr.org, there are sponsorship kits you can get for individual cats you can sponsor a small cat a medium-sized cat a big cat you can do you know a year sponsorship you can do all kinds of different levels um, you can buy uh, products t-shirts um, keychains all kinds of things that go towards it also um, the Carol and Howard do a wonderful event that was totally shut down during the pandemic, but it's called the Wildcat Walkabout, um, sure. and it, because they shut down during the pandemic for private tours and and I mean for tours in general to the public. Um, but uh, I think it's important for people to know that you can support in so many ways to. Um, help out with those expenses and you get the benefit of having really cool shirts and other things but you also get the benefit of having the feel-good moment that you're actually helping out um, any of the cats that you might fall in love with while you watch their stories they're all up online um, and so i just want to make sure people know that they can go to that and And loose st- has just put up another um, picture for how to donate um, so uh, the the expenses and all that also in the wildcat walkabout i want to say Carol and Howard also do the philanthropy work outside of just the cats because they pick different charities and I'll let them to speak. How do they do that? But in the wildcat walkabout every year they've done it, that I've been there, they pick different charities to give to like they did the Sheldrick wildlife trust this year which is one of my favorites and i i got to visit them when i was over there and i was like yay this is a wonderful one but they picked different charities to um give to to help with their causes too and i think that speaks to um the full circle of their philanthropy and their humanitarianism and and animal rights activism so could you guys speak to that a little bit of how you come to pick those kinds of charities and what makes you do that and why do you do that
1: well, that, that, as I said, is is one of the three parts of our, our mission is to try to do that. We try to focus more on the smaller cat species because the bigger cats get all this attention and get the vast majority of the funding. Um, and the smaller cats, people have, have not heard of as much, but they're every bit as important to their ecology where... In many cases, they are the apex predator, even though they're a small cat in places in South America and Africa and Asia. And we work with a man named Jim Sanderson, who is really the world's expert in our view on small cats. And he has a network of these people around the world doing this work and vets these projects. So he helps us vet the the projects to pick the ones where he thinks we'll get the most bang for the buck. And in many cases, these are projects where you've got some solo person out there working, you know, night and day, you know, with very little income, where a donation of as little as $1,000 for some cameras or $5,000 can make a make the difference between whether their project proceeds or not. Then we also do some support for tigers and and the bigger cats we particularly like the Corbett Foundation in India and we've done things there where for instance they build wells that are just flat to the ground there's just holes in the ground for these wells and what happens at night you know a big cat is chasing prey and the, they fall into the well and die and so we've funded building these fences around the wells which are not terribly expensive but each one saves lives so um, it's, it's, it's quite an array of, of these kinds of different projects.
0: Um, so, okay. So in addition to that, I wanted to make sure, cause there's so many things to talk to you guys about, um, Carolyn Howard did, um, if people haven't seen it, um, a, a great program, if you missed it, I think it's on Peacock, it's Cage Fight. So am I correct, you guys? Cage Fight. Well,
1: on... Actually, Cage Fight is not airing right now. Oh, it's not. Beautiful. Okay. Uh, it, it was originally on Discovery, and then yeah. when they merged with HBO, they did some culling, and so at least for the current time. However, what is on Peacock is a, is a couple of very good productions. It's um, conservation game. And one is Look, the... Cover- according
0: to people on the outside, by the way, they can hear what's going on between all of us, so keep talking, you guys.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, the, the conservation game was produced by Mike Weber, uh, who's great and it exposed what we were talking about earlier, Jack Hanna and these younger proteges going on these TV shows flat out lying about where these animals come from and where they end up. And in, in conservation game, they tracked down these people sometimes at their houses and, you know, interviewed them and walked up and said, Hey, you know, these are cubs that, you know, you used as your quote, ambassador animals. We're trying to find out where they are. And all of these people admitted on, on camera that, no, I, I have no idea where they came from or where they went. And then they, they show you some of the sources of these, which are some of the worst backyard places. It's extremely well done, very revealing, and it had an enormous effect, first of all, Jack Hanna had already announced his retirement, but was going to be available publicly. The day after the premiere of the conservation game, Jack Hanna's family suddenly announced that his dementia had increased at a rapid rate and he wouldn't be available to the public. Uh, And then because one of the senators that we were trying to get on board was the Senator from Ohio, uh, oh, I'm blanking Portman who, and he wouldn't co-sponsor because the Columbus zoo was opposing the bill. Why was the Columbus zoo opposing the bill? Because Jack Hannah gets his animals from these horrible places. In fact, we've got Susie Rapp, his size kick on tape saying, if this bill passes, we'll be out of business. And so once this all blew up in Jack Hanna's face, to their credit, the Columbus Zoo came around and said, we endorsed the bill, they changed management and and then Senator Portman endorsed the bill. So, the, you know, that was a huge effect, but the even bigger effect of the film has been, we have not seen a tiger on one of these talk shows since the film debuted. And, and because the, you know, in, in fairness, the the people who operate these shows they didn't know any better right i mean everybody had been convinced this was a good thing so once they learned this they they stopped putting the the animals on the show so that's had a huge effect and that means there aren't going to be this constant flow of people watching these shows thinking oh i want one
0: right right and and i and that's i such an important point i think for people to realize because (laughs) like the jack hannah show is still on saturday mornings and you see this you know he's it's old tapings but they show over and over again and then the columbus zoo so i think it's important for people to know about that well um, and that doesn't
1: that is that doesn't have the audience that you no. have on these very popular late night shows right two other productions on peacock if if you would like yes. one there's a the brilliant a documentary maker in england called louis thoreau very very well known there with bbc And he, back in 2011, had did a documentary about owning dangerous animals in the United States, and had spent three days with Joe Exotic, and gotten all this film of Joe, and of course that got condensed into about 15 minutes in his documentary. Well, when all this blew up with Joe and the murder for hire, he said, well, I better go back into this. And so we worked with him to do a film, which he cleverly now that is called shooting Joe exotic, which of course refers to the camera shooting, with all this film of Joe showing who he really is. Um, So that's worth a watch. And then the last one is the series done uh, by uh, Kate McKinnon uh, called uh, Joe versus Carol, which we were not involved in where uh, Kate McKinnon plays Carol and Kyle McLaughlin plays me, which was a whole new experience for us. <laughs> you know, we've kind of become used to being seeing ourselves on the screen now after all this. Um, but to see famous actors playing us and 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 we enjoyed it. And while they did a lot of what is referred to as fictionalizing, they did it primarily based on facts. So, so the the overall arching messages we believe are correct. And and contrary to Tiger King, uh, you know, they portrayed Carol a bit nutty, but uh, there's truth to that. Uh, but, you know, as a, as a passionate advocate for a very valid cause, they tried to be, I think, fair and not be too hard on Joe exotic, but they did portray him as the jackass that he is. And, uh, and the, um, and, and they also you know, portrayed more of why this industry is so bad. And, and at a personal level, I think they, they captured the relationship Carol and I have, which is a very supportive relationship, uh, very well. So, so it's a fun watch. We enjoyed watching it and I think people would, if they choose to, but that's a bigger commitment. It's like an eight episode. It's kind of like a tiger.
0: But you know, people love to sit and binge. (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, that that's a good thing,
1: even without COVID,
0: <laughs> even without COVID, people will get a rainy or snowy day, even though, or, or hurricane day, if the power hasn't gone on, they'll watch that stuff. So that's good for people to know. Um, okay. So Carol, um, so switching gears into just, so what was dancing with the stars? Like we gotta, we gotta know how much fun did you have? Cause you looked like you had so much fun. I mean, I know the answer to this, but I need everybody to know. <laughs>
2: Well, I had never danced before. It was a sin in my family. And so they told me, you don't have to worry about it. These pros are really pros and they're just going to sling you around on the floor and it's going to be fine. And it was the hardest thing I have ever done. I have never worked so hard, never exercised so much and never uh, exposed myself to being the klutz that I (laughs) am so thoroughly as I managed to do on that show. But the reason that we did it was because it came right after Tiger King, of course, that they reached out to me and they were just looking for the name recognition. But what I was worried about was the fact that I felt like Tiger King had avoided talking about the important issues. And so we negotiated with them that they would let me talk to the media and talk on their show about how these big cats are suffering and why we needed to pass the Big Cat Public Safety Act. And not only did they do it through the three episodes that they allowed me to continue through, but even after I left and to this day, they still send us media every time they had the opportunity so that we can still talk about the big cats and get their message out there. So they have been just an amazing part of turning all of this around and making it about the cats, which is what we thought we were doing when we were working with those producers for five years.
1: And well, during okay. your, during your intro, your music was so peppy. I was actually turning to Carol, suggesting <laughs> we dance during the intro.
0: Uh, so so Howard, do you want to do Dancing with the Stars? <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that. Come on.
1: Not a chance. I not, my only desire in life now is to meet Lusty Lou. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's so funny. He was threatening to come on the show naked yesterday in email. (laughs) Oh, boy. I missed those. I missed those emails. Oh, my. I must go back and look. Um, So on a serious note, um, and, and this is is to both of you, you know, given Tiger King and 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 i'll give a little background when tiger king came out i was actually down at big cat rescue and i just done a workshop with them and literally it was like the next day everything shut down it was on that same weekend and tiger king came out at the same time so it's really not about that but it's just about the fact that when i was there um i was still there for a couple days with them and um i wanted to ask you guys it's, it's a hard road. What makes both of you either individually or together so resilient? Because I, I find you both inspiring. I find that, um, Carol, you're probably one of the, and I say this to people all the time. I think you're one of the most strong, resilient, put together, eloquent. I could go on and on it, Given all the shit that you've gone through in terms of all the press and all that stuff, what makes you guys so resilient? Because I think that speaks to people in general, like getting some inspiration from you? I think that it's because I've always had a mission. I've had a
2: mission to end the abuse of big cats. And if that's all I'm gonna focus on, I'm not gonna focus on the things that are trying to distract me or trying to bring me down from that. In fact, I sign all of my emails with a phrase from uh, Roosevelt saying, judge me by the enemies I have made. Because I feel like if you don't have people wanting to kill you and wanting to stop you dead in your tracks, you're probably not making a difference. And so I, I really take delight in the fact that these people hate me so much because I know I'm on the right path to saving these cats and saving the planet.
1: We talk on the show about living with intent all the time and having that focus of having an intent and having a purpose. goal and having a purpose. Yeah. Right, because the Cute. purpose
0: and the passion bypasses what, and like Carol's saying, it bypasses all the stuff that gets in your way. Um, and and Howard, what about for you? The same thing, or is it a little different?
1: Well, every time I read her emails, I see that the, the, at the bottom and think to myself, "I'm glad I'm not one of the enemies." <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, in Carol's case, it's it's uh, her strength. Uh, in my case, it, it's it's simply a commitment. I didn't meet Carol till I was 52. I'd never been married. And when I decided that that this was the one and I would marry, uh, I decided that my goal in life was going to make to be to make this woman happy. And it became clear that this goal of stopping this problem was what was going to make her happy. And And, I am the happiest
2: woman on the planet.
1: (laughs) So, you know, I've just that that has been, you know, Kept in front of me, just like you're talking about, with intention that you know we're just going to work together to stop this. And I think there's a big part of the fact that our being supportive of each other has made it so much easier to handle uh, the negative aspects of what is going on uh, with um, you know with uh, supportive strength from each other. And the last thing is that our our skill sets. Mesh, we are, you know, we joke that no computer would have ever matched us up, but as opposed to our differences being a source of conflict, it has really been complementary. And so things like suing Joe Exotic, well, that was my job. Uh, and I have the background to do that. Uh, whereas, you know, Carol operating the sanctuary and, and being the, the charismatic uh, leader, no one has ever accused me of being charismatic. Okay. So, so, uh, you know, I, I'm. I,
2: that, you are that, the power behind <laughs> the throne, though.
1: <laughs> so,
2: so, the wind beneath my
0: wings. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's,
1: just, it's, just, it's just the reverse of that old phrase behind every successful man is a good woman. Behind this successful woman is a good man. <laughs>
0: And 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 you see that and I and I think and I do and I do get asked a lot from people that know that I know you guys and where people ask me all the time what do you guys like and I think amongst the many things I've said I always say that you guys are a team and that's what strikes me all as being like you're always in teamwork I've always seen you connected um, even in your nonverbals, because this is what I do for a living so I watch everything so it, there, there's always a strong connection there and I think that people. Um, that don't know you should know that, but also to to know that about you, because I think that's what's made, uh, you know, the big cat public safety act work. I think that that's made your sanctuary work and other sanctuaries and, you know, that have come since you to follow um, because you have a good role modeling just because it starts at that foundation to do that. So and it's inspiring. Um,
1: so you're uh, saying you have noticed this minor tick that I have. <laughs>
0: Yes. Yes. And, and apparently writing emails that make, that say you want to be naked. <sighs>
2: <laughs> I this was video or audio was the, the genesis of that question.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Um, so just speak with me just for a couple more minutes and then, and then we will be wrapping up. But um, so the, one of the things that uh, just so that people know, I do compassion fatigue work um, and uh, in Carol and Howard were kind enough and lovely enough to see that, you know, compassion fatigue is such an important issue. Um, and this is in veterinary care. This is in animal care. This is in people care. Um, but, uh, they don't know all the things I do all the time because obviously it's confidential with lots of people, but I, I do have a, a pretty good calling and presence of, of how many people I do talk to and work with down at Big Cat Rescue. Um, but, If you guys could speak to the importance of compassion fatigue in the work of doing this work on your own level that would be great even for just a second
2: you know i have always been thankful that at the hardest times in my life i had so much obligation to the cats that it kept me distracted from focusing on dealing with that fatigue myself Mm-hmm. And you have been such a godsend because I know that that's not how most people operate and they need some way to deal with what they're feeling. And I could not provide that to them without you. So thank, thank you, you very much for handling what I I would never be capable of dealing with because I just don't deal with that kind of... Um, I, I stay focused on the future. I just don't look at the past. Once some animal has died, I'm thankful that they're not having to spend another day in a cage, and I take that uh, strength to go forward to make sure that there are no more cats that end up in cages.
0: And Howard, any any thoughts from you on on the way you manage? You know, because you work in a different capacity. I mean, you're not as probably with the cats as much as Carol, but
1: deal with some stress though. Different <laughs> oh, <yeah, laughs> okay. kind of stress. I'm not at the sanctuary doing animal care but right. I do get attached to the cats and what I find actually comforting is we, we make a a really beautiful engraved plaque for each cat that has passed and you can see me talking slower because it's starting to catch in my throat and and I will periodically just scan through them all and remember them and and that's kind of my way to deal with it.
2: And for decades, whenever we would give a tour, at the end of the tour, we would say, we don't want one more cat to end up on previously our memorial wall and then what became this big high wall section, that we didn't want another cat to end up on that wall before this bill passed. And once the bill passed, I spent some time out at that wall so so thankful that not one more cat has to pass before we got it done.
0: Oh, now you see you got me welling up. Thank you. That's great. (laughs) Um, but it, it, so it's, it's a beautiful wall. Um, it, it, it certainly, uh, is a peaceful solace place actually on the sanctuary. If anyone's ever been there, or if you ever get to have a private tour there, um, right at the end of the path, before you go back into what used to be the, the main gift store, there's a beautiful, uh, uh, representation for all the cats that have passed. And it is and Howard described it beautifully that um, it's a nice way to remember them. And also, um, what a great way to look at it that you know, not one more cat after the you know, big cat is not going to be having to end up on this wall quite in the same way for the same reason. So um, that's fantastic. Um, Lou, did you have any questions before I get to my, you know, my final quick fun questions that I have to ask them?
1: so how do you guys feel having the big cat rescue act passed? that's a big milestone for you guys so we talked about intent and focus so where does that turn
0: next
2: it gives us such a sense of peace that we have never felt it's like when we go out for our morning walks it's just like you can actually breathe all the way into your lungs for the first time for me anyway
1: Well, and we, we have, we, we very much believe in imaging the result that you want to have happen and imaging it as if it has already happened. And so for years in our kitchen, we have a a little statue of a chef that has a blackboard and at times, you know, it would say bill passes the house. Well, that's different, but it was very
2: (laughs) similar though. We had this posted everywhere throughout the house,
1: (laughs) but the blackboard would say bill passes the house by two thirds vote. And we would image that every day. And, and then it was, Bill passes the Senate by hotline. And so now the, the thing just says, we won. And I still make a point to stop because honestly, it is almost like a Zen meditative feeling when I think about the bill finally passed after all these uh, years. And if you want to end on a little lighter note about compassion fatigue, I can tell you a quick story. Uh, many years ago, we went to a seminar or a conference and there was someone who does your kind of work, a compassion fatigue person from HSUS there. And it was all couples who run sanctuaries and he went around the room talking and asking, okay, you know, we know you do things to annoy the other one. When do you intentionally annoy him or her? And people were confessing all this stuff and they got to me and, and said, so, you know, what do you do when you want to really get under Carol's skin? I said, I don't do that. You're lying. You're lying. You must do that. Everybody does that. Tell us what you do. I said, "Look, how stupid would I have to be to intentionally annoy someone who has twelve tigers who listened to her?" And that ended the discussion.
0: <laughs> well, that, that was probably a really good answer. There you go. <laughs> um, so, okay, you guys. So, at the end of uh, at the end of my uh, interviews with with people, I always ask fun. Questions that kind of are just fun, associative things that you know, whatever. So it's kind of random and they're just fun, catch you off guard, quick free association. But okay, so b- to both of you, what's your favorite color? Purple. Mauve. I love <laughs> Oh boy! Okay. story
2: behind mauve. Okay. Too long a story for this.
0: Okay. <laughs> favorite
2: food? Cherries.
1: Um, oh. You don't
2: have a favorite color or a favorite food. <laughs> no,
1: I do. I'm struggling for the. the He's the, like, wait, this the, caught, the, caught me
2: off
0: guard. See? Volcano
1: roll. Volcano roll. At, you know, sushi. Volcano at sushi. sushi roll.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite? What's your, what's your biggest turn on? Uh oh.
2: Uh oh. Intelligence. That's I'm why I am so attracted to you. <laughs> You're handsome too. <sighs> <but. laughs>
1: That's,
0: that's, that's. I'm waiting Howard. Uh,
1: Lusty Lou.
0: <laughs> Thank
1: you. I can't get it out of my head. I can't get it in my head.
0: This is never going to end, right? Um uh, what's your biggest turn off? I hate to be lied to. I don't care how
2: bad something is that you need to tell me. What horrible thing you need to point out about my
1: personality or anything else, but do not lie to me. And mine is the same, and I'll give you a very specific example. You know, Joe Exotic, for all of his lies, was honest about his hatred for us and particularly for Carol uh, and, and you know, openly uh, bashing her all the time. I can tolerate that better than the lies of Eric Good and Rebecca Chaiklin, the producers of Tiger King, who just deceived us, lies to us about what the movie was going to be, lied to us during the production, and lied about it after. That galls me. You can hear it in my voice.
0: Yes. On that note, what's your favorite swear word?
1: Well, I don't think I can say it.
0: But- <laughs> <laughs> you know what, what that is, Carol. I, I,
1: I've been trying to train myself not to let that burst out when when you know I drop a plate and it breaks or something.
0: And yeah. and we're both
2: really well. We're both really good about that. We just don't curse much.
0: You just, you just well <laughs> you just say it in your head. I always say it's in the head bubble. It's in the head bubble while you bite your tongue, right?
1: See, Joe helped us out in the comments. <laughs>
0: Well,
1: well. Uh, yeah.
0: Yes, Joe. Joe Morgan put f dot dot <laughs> in the comments. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, okay. If you and last but not least, if you if like if it all ended today, would you say that you would change anything?
2: I would not, because I believe there's a great book called One, and every single choice that we make results in where we are now, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere but where we are now. I don't think there's anything I could have done to make this come any faster than it did.
1: And the point of that book was you just never know if you changed something where that path would lead you. So you can't say, well, I wouldn't do this because here's where it would end up because you don't know. Right. I mean, think about it, if 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 I had not gone agreed to go to the event where I met Carol, how different would my life have been? There'd be no way, oh, maybe that would be, <laughs> maybe that's what I'd change. You know, no, kidding. Just kidding. <laughs>
0: okay. When you guys sign off, you're in trouble. Remember, she has tigers. <laughs> You said it. Um, Well, so you guys, um, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure and an honor as always. I love seeing you. I'm sure I'll see you guys soon in person. It's been a while since before the holidays that I've seen you. Please give my love to Brittany and Afton and Marie and Babs and everybody that's out there today doing the lives and feeding and cleaning and all the interns and everything because they do such great work um, if you guys are getting over to the sanctuary today. But I appreciate your time so much and your candidness and your love of animals and um, your fight and your resiliency, and I think your role models for people that are out there struggling um, with stuff that when they don't have purpose and passion, I think you guys are really great examples of how to keep going despite You know, function despite dysfunction. That's actually my motto on my website and my practice for the past 27 years. So you function despite dysfunction. So um, I so appreciate you being here and um, holding out for the past three weeks of us getting this arranged to be here. And I I am so blessed to have you. Thank you so much. Um, And on that note, do you guys have anything else that you wanted to add to the show?
2: Well, thank you for the opportunity. And I will be sure and say hello to Flint and summer for you.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
2: Bye-bye.
0: all right all right. you guys take care and um for everybody else um i will be back next week um with your daily game face and we will be reviewing lots of new things that have come up in the new year and um have a great week Mwah.